Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. The audio experience for basketball officials. Serve the game. We obviously know it's a very emotional sport, and we have to be the emotionless ones and be able to respond in an effective way when the game gets hot, and you got to take into account the emotion, but you need to draw the line and make sure it doesn't cross over into unsportsmanlike conduct. Hey, everybody. So I'm here with uh, the the owner. Would you say owner of Crown Refs, Paul? Um. Well, just maybe the creator, founder. The creator, the creator of Crown Refs, Paul Diaspara. Did I say that right? You said it right. Correct. All right. Paul. Awesome. So, so Paul, what exactly, what exactly is Crown Refs, and how and how did it get started? Right now, of things. So, uh, you know, we've tried to evolve each year and and add new and chapters to uh our story but it started as a as a podcast we'll start on instagram back in 2018 i knew i wanted to really give back to the game i had felt comfortable as a ref where i can now kind of go out and start teaching others mentoring others so this is my version of giving back to the game um always tried to add kind of like a new app in order to reach more people so it went from instagram to then podcasting and youtube and linkedin and now of course TikTok and all the other channels in between, but we're we're an officiating p- developmental platform and a community um, that's trying to connect great people that love officiating and that want to get better. So our mer- most um, current version of what Crown Refs is, besides putting out a ton of content on all the social channels, is our private mentor community where we have a uh, hundred and forty-five officials from around oh, the world. Wow. Um, you know, mostly based in the U.S., but we do have about 10 FIBA refs like Switzerland, New Zealand, Australia, a bunch from Canada. Um, and we're all together on on a team. You know, like when I even threw the name Crown Refs out, my brother's a trainer in Long Island. Mm-hmm. Skills trainer has his own AAU program. He started the Crown brand back in 2013. Mm-hmm. So I got to give mm-hmm. uh, most of the credit to my brother. My dad actually named it Crown Crown Basketball mm-hmm. Center. That was what it was originally called because my brother was bringing in um, cameras and recording a lot of footage. He had big screen TV. So it was a little tech, very techy at first. But I watched my brother grow his AAU program and just that family like culture um, of giving back to players and not making it about you and just trying to develop kids and and bring great people together. So I've kind of in 2018, after watching him for years, build that it was very easy for me to just say, no, Crown Refs now. Um, And Refs is a team of officials. It's a community. It's a it's a family of officials that love refereeing and, and love getting better. Wow, that's that's awesome. So you said you have 145. Is that is that that number of refs in it? At the current moment, yeah. At the current moment, right, right. It's growing rapidly. I also saw you on uh, on uh, talking to Gary V. How did that How did that come about? Gary has a. Well, I'm a big fan of Gary V. Um, mm-hmm. I, I learned a lot about creating content right around the time I found him, like in mm-hmm. 2018, and he just laid out all of the steps tactical stuff on how to grow your brand how to connect people um so i I learned about a a product that he has a consulting one day immersive product where you meet with uh three or four of his experts in one of his companies called the sasha group and in that in that time you get 10 minutes with him you get an hour with him each person gets an hour there were six other people on the call so, um, you know, I got my 10 minutes. I just, you know, I, I wanted to obviously learn a lot from what I think is the world's best media company and, and content producers pretty much. But I wanted to get my stuff across Gary's desk because I figured I had a good feeling like he would connect with it and be able to give me value from it. So, yeah, it was a great, great experience. Um, they actually just sent me they sent me a knife uh, set, like mm-hmm. handwritten note to me and my wife. Like, it's just amazing service but yeah i got my 10 minutes with him and at the very end i asked him if he would join my podcast for episode three 305 for either three minutes and five seconds or 30 minutes and 50 seconds just trying to play on numbers there he said no 355 for five minutes so in about 80 more episodes however long that takes me maybe a year eight 
seven, eight months, uh, he'll be on for five minutes. Hopefully oh, I can wow. ask some compelling questions to keep him on longer. Wow. Uh, yeah. He'll probably be talking longer than five minutes. Uh, that's, that's, nice. <laughs> that, that's amazing. So how did you personally get started in officiating? Like, where did that come from? Uh, my mother worked at my high school and she worked for the athletic department. So mm-hmm. she was always in touch with officials and kind of in the culture of confirming games um, and, you know, just making sure there's officials on site because she is, um, you know, being in the athletic department, you obviously you're dealing with a lot of officials in various sports. It was a time in my life when I was going back to grad school to get my master's in teaching. So it was a bit of a transitional time for me. I had, um, I had time to fill my schedule out with other things. She said, uh, you know, why don't you be a ref? And, you know, of course I laughed at it because thinking at the time I was playing men's league and I was literally at the peak of my men's league. (laughs) Three to 29 points a game and in subpar men's league. But to me, it was so fun. And, you know, uh, I was early thirties and, um, you know, I took the class, I agreed to do it, but didn't fall in love with it for at least a year. Wow. Maybe not a full year, but, and there, there's reasons why I didn't fall in love with it. Maybe also too, is was the lack of community. Once you join, it's like, all right, you're on your own. And then right. it's up to you to find all the contacts, find all the assigners and build your own kind of group. So, you know, going to local meetings the first few years on my local board here, I just, you just sense a lot of division. You sense a lot of people like arguing. So I didn't, I didn't connect with the, with the industry from jump, you know, uh, right, I right. didn't connect from the start. It has, I didn't love it at first. Cause I was still transitioning from the players mentality, right. coaching a little bit on the side. So I wasn't, I wasn't in it yet. I wasn't a, how I like to say it now, a purebred official. Was that a tough transition for you? Because obviously it's a different way to look at the game from coach player or like was it you know after a little bit it kind of all right i'm i'm good i i get the difference now yeah it wasn't that tough because i was years removed from like high school or college so i, right. I can't call myself a real player i was playing in men's league so right, right, right but it right. wasn't a difficult transition it was just a longer transition again going back to having to build that that love for it and that passion passion wasn't there maybe it was under the surface and i just needed to kind of work towards it right do you think having a a playing uh, or coaching background helps you as an official or hurts you? Oh, it, it has to help a thousand percent. The only way it would hurt you is if you're not all in on officiating and you're still thinking like a coach or a player. Right, right, right. What you know, and what in what way does it help? Well, it helps number one with feel for the game, and that's just something you can't teach. You know, right. if I up playing lacrosse and then I just I never played basketball I, I think naturally I'm going to be a better lacrosse official than a basketball official so right. these are all things you can learn but there's something to be said about just being born into it and just being like a natural right and and then that that transition from from player to referee I think gets a lot easier if you go about it the right way and you know you make that full commitment to becoming a, a ref like we have I still have some conversations with refs that are also coaches and I can always tell I'm like, you're not really all in on officiating. Uh-huh. very hard to do both like all in. We just had a, one of my friends just joined from Long Island and he has been a ref for 10 years, just as long as me. And I've always known that, but I've always known he's more um, into his coaching. Right. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even ask him to join the group. I didn't even talk that officiating with him that much, but recently he started hitting me up and I could tell that his, his fire is now lit. So he just, I'm like, all right, you're ready now. Let's, let's bring you. <laughs> how could you, how could you tell where like, you're like tell? Oh, yeah, oh, just because like- he reached out to me with some questions about camp and then moving up and he's talking about division two and assigners. And I'm like, all right, I've never heard you talk like this. This is how I know <clears throat> you're ready to take it seriously. No, no. How could, how could you tell that he was more of a coach than more of a, of a ref at that moment? Like, like you could just you could just feel it, or the way he the way he officiated, or just because you knew him personally. No, just by his actions, he was he was um, building a program similar to yours. He's a you know trainer in it, right? Built his own AAU program, so I he's coaching a lot of kids, and and he's working referee more of a part time side hustle. So it's just there right. in my experience, and somebody can do it. I don't know. I haven't met them yet, but I just have yet to see somebody go all in at on both. It's, 
kind of right. got to pick one. Right. Do you feel like players and coaches, like you're officiating and, and there's an obvious foul, right? Uh, there's no doubt. And they argue that. Do players and coaches lose credibility in your mind when you're like, dude, you're arguing like the most obvious foul. So like, does that hurt them later on in the game if they do question you? I always wondered that. It's not going to hurt them like we're going to call something based on that interaction. Right, right. You know, but um, you, like you hit it on the nose. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I tell coaches this too. You have to pick your spots. Mm-hmm. You have to pick your spots and pick the right plays to talk about. Because if you're just speaking irresponsibly about obvious stuff that's black and white, yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm. You're going to lose that internal credibility with me now. Now you're trying to just manipulate the situation or you're lacking game awareness to not know that's an obvious foul. Mm-hmm. Right. So absolutely. Um, what's the best way to approach an official as a player? If you feel like, you know, like, like you were playing the men's leagues and I'm sure like somebody was hacking you and like maybe they might weren't calling it. Like, what's the best way to be like, hey, ref, I'm, get, I'm getting fouled here where you're going to look for it more than just like ignore them. I'm not going to look for it more just because you asked me to. Okay. I may tell you that I'm going to look for it more, but I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not out here fishing and lurk and looking for things. Right. I'm going to let it come to me. But to answer your question, the answer is never. That's the best answer. Really? I think so. I um, think never. Now, that being said, um, I always say there's kind of, well, there's many ways to approach, approach an official. You got to make sure you're doing it at the right time. You got to make sure we're available, right? You, you, so you have to find those times in the game where we're not engaged in something else during a live ball when we're calling a foul where you can't have a conversation just because right. you put your hands up and looked at me like that. I'm not going to stop and talk to you, right? right? Um, so I think the more players can focus on purely the game and what they can control the better off they will be, the better off officials will be, the better off coaches will be, equaling the better off the game will be. Right. But to add more to that, um, some people question a call. Some people ask a question. So you have to determine which route you want to go. If you want to ask a question, you do it at the right time. You do it respectfully. And then 100% of the time, we are going to give you a good answer or at least engage in that conversation. But the majority of times, it's questioning a call. Okay? You're questioning. You're, you're doubting. You're, 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 you're disagreeing with me. And that's different right. than, hey, coach, um, what did you have on that last play? I know you called a charge. I thought I was in a legal guarding position. Um, could you tell me why that was a block? That's a good, legit question. And you can hear in my tone, I'm actually trying to learn to then go apply it. Like if we're going to have a conversation and engage, at least take away something from it. Don't just do it to disagree and share your opinion. Right. Questioning a call, questioning our decisions. Right. And what if a player just asks you to look for something like, hey, you know, when I'm going right, he's he's really pushing harder than it looks. Could you look? Could you look for that? Is sure. that which, would, which player are you talking about? The the play that just happened. No, which player? Fourteen. Oh, like like the uh, the guy offensive player. Say he's handling the ball. No, no, I'm asking you. Oh. You're the player. I'm oh, asking okay. you. Who's the player? Which guy am I watching? Oh, so they have to name somebody like number eleven. He keeps he's put, digging his form into me when I'm Good. bringing the ball up. Could you watch that? I, Yeah, sure. You see how I like to, I added an extra layer of that. I want to know which player you're talking about, because that's going to make you be more thoughtful too. And, and um, that's just kind of my way of managing that situation. And, and, but yeah, if they're respectful, then, okay, okay. I'll watch for it. That's, that's a very generic response you hear a lot, but it's, um, it's an effective one. You know, I'll I'll keep an eye on it. Okay. Oh, what's he, what's he with, with the arm bar? He's hitting you with the arm bar on your hip. Okay. I'll watch for it. So I'm kind of explaining or summarizing what they kind of said and throwing it back to them. And then hopefully we have a good exchange after that. Right. Gotcha. And what, what's the, what's the best part and the worst part of officiating for you? Uh, You know what, Uh, as far as the worst part, I don't even like to think along those terms. I, I, I talk so much about like mindset and controlling what you can control and, not letting anything frustrate you, not let anything get you upset. So for me to sit here and give you the worst part, it, I would almost feel like I'm complaining and I'm allergic to complaining. Right, right. Um, but I will say 
one thing we're trying to change is being a great partner and really pushing being a great person. So that's one thing I think we can improve on as a whole mm-hmm. is just that camaraderie amongst officials, making it a brother and sisterhood. Um, so I'll, I'll keep it to, instead of saying worse things right, we right, can right. improve on that as gotcha. far as the best, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there, I think there's a lot of things that stand out. Um, the fact that we love the game and we get to be, get paid to be on a basketball court is a great thing. Um, the fact that you get to meet so many amazing people who you go to war with, so to speak, right? right. when you kind of um, put yourself in those spots and those pressurized spots so many times with people, you get to go real deep with them and you form bonds that you kind of wouldn't if you were working, you know, in a corporate center or with somebody just that you met at college. So it gives you um, kind of a great platform for a relationship. So definitely the people um, it's great. It's a great side hustle. You know, I, not everybody gets to do it full time. Only the point zero nine percent, you know, mm-hmm. get to make it a full time career. The best in the world do. And there's not a ton of those spots for most people. It's a side hustle. And I think it's a great, great um, side hustle if it uh, fits your schedule. Um, and you know what else? It's, it's shaped me so much as an individual, as a man, as a professional, just because on the basketball court as the referee, you have to be the bigger person. And we're always so focused on getting things correct and having great judgment that's mm-hmm. carried over into every situation of my life. I want to be the bigger person. I don't want to get things wrong. Right. I don't want to. Um, you know, I always want to lead with respect and courtesy and kindness. So the education I've received from officiating is just, I would so recommend it for so many people. Uh, I don't think I could have learned these skills had I not gone that route. Maybe I would have eventually, you never know, but yeah, it's taught me so much and I'm still learning every day. Right. And you mentioned, you mentioned pressure, like, uh, giving them like a, a bond with somebody else. Cause like you're going to like, obviously it's a, being an official, you're always, uh, you're always under a pressure situation. Now, if there's a, if there's like a championship game or a playoff game do officials feel nervous like i know i know you can only speak really from your point of view but like do you feel nervous in that championship or playoff game as an official also like a player would or is it no different well again up to the individual um the more we can the more we can make every game the same and i'm Mm -hmm. sure you tell your players too in a playoff game it's just another game even though i know it's more important and it could lead to the end of your season or a championship. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I, I think it's natural to feel that nerves, but the more we can get into just treating it like a business, like professional approach, consistent approach. It's just like another, any other game, you know, don't buy, we try not to buy into the hype of everybody else's emotions, knowing the importance of a playoff game to right. all the participants to officials. It can't be like, Oh, I'm going to, do something different now because right, I'm right, at the championship right. game. No, I got to rev it up. Like, right. no, you got to stay fundamentally sound. Right. Same way. Okay. And what's the highest level that you've officiated personally? Personally, I'm division two level, NCAA yeah. men's. Yeah. And are you still, are you still doing that now? Or are you just focused on building your community and or doing both? Both. Nice. That's yeah, awesome. All in on both. Are you trying to uh, go like the Division One route to be a professional uh, ref, also, um, or just you're kind of content with that Division Two, or are you trying to move up constantly? Uh, I'm not content. I mean, I'm happy, and I'm, I'm continuing to try to be better and put myself in a position to, to get hired at the Division One level. That was always my goal. Mm-hmm. Once you know, remember talking about the itch, and when that passion really started, it was like. That was the end goal is to right. work a division one game. Now it's not to, you know, work a, I would love to work Duke Carolina. I would love to work all the great, you know, NCA institutions, but I never wanted to really travel around the country. Right. And I would, so it's, it's almost selfish of me to say, I want to make it to D one, but I don't want to travel that much. Right, like right, I right, work right. just the D ones in, in my area, maybe take a plane once or twice a year. Again, this is stuff I can't control. But I'm continuing to pursue the D1, and I, you know, I'm gonna try to move up and and uh, be the best official I can be. Right. What do you think is the most misunderstood rule by players, coaches, fans? Have you had to choose maybe one or even two? 
Um, I mean, I think we could spend a whole episode on this, but maybe just like terminology when it comes to legal guarding position and like block charge plays, you know, you hear the word he was moving a lot. Right. That's just like bad terminology. It's not specific enough. Mm-hmm. It's not applicable to um, most block charge situations. You have to specify what type of movement it is and when did he move? Um, is it a ball handler where the you know, dribbler's on the ground and he's not an airborne shooter or is it an airborne shooter? Um, so different rules apply there. But I, I would say like, you know, using that bad terminology, like, oh, he's not set. He's not set. Like what there's, what is, there's nothing. There's no set. There's, did he establish a legal guarding position and did he maintain the legal guarding position? Um, a lot of people think I can't, slide to the side and take a charge in the chest and a lot of people are just going to say he's not he's moving so that's a big one and you hear that from commentators and hopefully with uh, Richard Jefferson now inserting himself and I think that's a fantastic idea by the NBA to get creative there and bring a media person to experience what it's like officiating to then go back into the booth and deliver more accurate information and more empathetic approach to how hard it is Richard Jefferson is roughing Oh, yeah, you missed that big story, Coach. Oh, I didn't I even, know that at all. I even heard about it. I, I didn't even know that at all. I know, he was doing, I know he was doing games. He's, he's going to be throwing himself as, into the uh, official ranks? Well, he's not anymore. He refed uh, one quarter of the Knicks game this past week. He refed oh. the second quarter of the Knicks game. Oh. But he trained with the NBA refs in Vegas all week. And wow. uh, then, you know, went to the game with the four-man crew and he got subbed in in the second quarter. He went and ref the second quarter and it was a big, big news story. Very entertaining and just, I think, a really good idea. You know, the more we can promote officiating, the better off the game's going to be. And this is just an example of that. And I would recommend more coaches try to ref, whether it's at summer camp or you try to put on the stripes, you know, for the rec ball or whatever but the more knowledge you have in the game the better off you'll be so it's important to go wide with that knowledge and not exclude the officiating side of the game right and that's uh that's a good point you brought because that's one of the reasons why i was so fascinated with you when i saw you on tiktok i was running like a three-on-three league and i had to uh i had to like officiate a little bit it's just like for kids like and i was like god i am so bad at refing, like you don't realize it. You know, you have no idea how bad you are at refing until you do it. And that's how I was like, I gotta, I gotta learn more. And then all of a sudden I saw you and I was like, oh, this is like, what Paul's doing is awesome because like you're, you're helping me learn and teach like the kids who I hire to ref these little games and it's a little, to like, you know, make the right call, be assertive. And it's like, I just think people just don't, I'm just fascinated with refereeing now because I, it's just so hard. And nobody understands that. It's so easy to yell at a ref and, and it's just, people just don't get it. I mean, I think that's, and I think that's great that he, uh, that he did that. Um, so my next question for you is how is it refing girls and guys? Uh, how's it different? And do you do, do you ref girls as well or just, or just guys? Well, uh, during the regular season, I, I, I work just boys in okay. the high school level in NCAA men's. But, you know, it's a year-round thing. So you're, if you're going to work at the local rec center on a Saturday morning, you don't make that schedule. Whoever shows up to the gym that day, you're going to work. So, yeah, we work – most basketball officials are going to work all levels on the rec level, meaning like third-grade boys, fifth-grade girls, ninth-grade boys, men's league. So you're constantly bouncing around from the various different levels. Um, the main difference I have besides the rules being different is the absorption of contact between a boy versus a girl they're going to absorb contact differently which is going to paint a different picture in my opinion refing uh, women are way harder because of that fact because of the way they absorb the contact you know it could be a legal play where just that little nudge forced her off her spot where in a men's game you're like no that's a legal play but here uh, that's got to be foul or maybe it's not i don't know it's it's a little uh, more challenging for me in ways, in some ways, as far as maybe the play calling dynamic. So I would say that would be one from my perspective. Right. And when you say absorb contact, you're just talking about like how they take the hit, basically, like what their their reaction afterwards. Like you can't tell if it's legit. They actually got hit or 
or is that what you mean? Like, are they, are they, are they flopping more or you just, they're not they're, You just can't tell. Like, is just that a the, foul or not? It just the, the contact and the way their body reacts to that contact. Sometimes in a, like in a men's game, it could be just something small that you wouldn't think is a foul, but maybe in this setting, that is a foul. So yeah, the way their body moves and, and reacts to the contact for me has always right. been a challenging thing. That's just one thing that, that stands out. Um, yeah, that's the most notable thing I could think of. Right. And what's your what's your favorite level to coach or age, I guess? Do you prefer that division too? Or like do you prefer doing that Saturday morning third grade game or fifth grade? Like do you do you, you do you personally still do those games, like those yeah. younger kid games? Which one? So which one do you like to do the most? Oh, hundred percent. The highest level would be the yeah. I would say most officials. Uh, answer there right um but it's important also too and that's why it's like i don't just ref during the season and then don't ref any aau it's important to me to stay tapped into the culture and the industry and always have my pulse on the game and not take too much time off you know so and and it's that juggling of all the different levels that could create more versatility within an official and and we talk about being versatile and having the ability to work any game any level anytime right um, but That's yeah awesome. d2 is a great level and it's a it's a notable jump from d3 my first d2 game i ever had first possession i'm just doing this my really opinion. it's that it's that big of a jump from Division three to division two. My three. opinion at that moment it was it was a significant difference i had seen all level differences leading up to that like from high school to junior college from junior college to d3 is very similar but for that jump uh it was it was it was a difference maker um it's a great great level to ref and my next question for you is why are you so meticulous about hand signals because i always watch your tiktok and you know you the, the, what are you talking about the box or the square the re- oh, yeah, the reporting like, rectangle. Hands, job, like in here, and you're critiquing the guys. Like your, you know, your wrist wasn't at the right angle. I love, I love hearing Thanks. that. What, what's, yeah. what's, what's making, what's making you so particular about that? The little details. I know it's funny. Some of the commenters on TikTok are like, "How does this even apply to the game? Just get the call right." <laughs> I'm like, "No, no, no. You don't understand, sir. Uh, we're meticulous about everything. You know, right, like right. every feature of the game. You want to yeah. be great at." Yeah. Um, I love, I've always, you know, been attracted to like great signals and having a great professional presentation, just like you would right. want to have a beautiful jump shot. Or I seen you dribble in the ball and have right. that, you know, have it on a yo-yo. It's no different than what we're doing. This is the physical component right. of how we narrate the game is our mechanics and signaling. So it should look strong. It should look crisp. Um, another reason why I'm so passionate about it is I'm, I'm a physical education teacher in New York City. So pre-k to fifth grade we're constantly doing demonstrations i'm fitness demonstrations walking around the room improving people's form making sure they're doing it with proper form and and applying it correctly and all that stuff so i would say that kind of has trickled in and really motivated me to you know to help um, officials out with their signaling and i just see so many little things too it's like you know I, i i do game reports and you know, I could be watching the ref for one minute and I've already thought of 10 things from the way he's presenting that we need to change or, you know, similar to you when you're breaking down a kid's dribble and, and noticing some of the things got to improve it. It's no different. This is just, I'm like a referee skills trainer. Right, you know? right, right, right. So the de- we, work the details. All, we work on all the skills. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I, I love the details. So I, that's one of my favorite parts of your, uh, of your mm. TikTok. And then you bring the guy to the side and you just, you know, you tell him what he, what, what you liked and then you tell him how, you know, you can improve. I, I think it's just, it's just awesome. Um, what, when you watch games, do you watch them differently as an official? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, now I, the, the most games I watch are my games and the officials in the community whose, whose games I break down. Um, so of course I'm watching it purely for the officiating there. If I go watch an NBA game now, I'll probably watch more of, I'll probably watch more of the, the players at this moment. There was a time where I'm watching all of the officiating. I, I would do both. I would obviously watch the players and I would watch mm-hmm. the officials, but I would just right now I'm in a spot where I just want to enjoy the game. Um, and I don't watch a ton of 
other people's games. So I'm usually in the, the officiating mindset all the time. Gotcha. And who's your, do you have like a favorite official to watch over the years? Like, Hey, this is the guy who, you know, he's super high level ref. And I, you know, I want to learn more from him. You don't want to know who my favorite officials are right now. Yeah. Allen, Connor, Donald, Juan, (laughs) Justin, Lance, Miles, Taylor, and Sal. Those are my favorite officials. Yeah. The, the, the people we have in our community. Um, That really is my answer. Like I'll give you a few names in a moment, but I've, I've been asked this before and that's my initial feeling is like, no, I love watching my, my family, my family of refs, my team of refs. Those are the best people for me to watch because I know I want to help them and, and watch their evolution. Um, As far as NBA, uh, I want to shout out the people that were on our podcast, Scott Foster, Tyler Ford, Mark Davis, Joey Crawford, um, Derek Stafford. Um, and, you know, I really I like watching Zach Zarba. I think he's tremendous on the college ranks. I think Ron Goover is the real deal. He worked the uh, last couple finals, just got a chance to meet him in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So if you're an NCAA men's official out there, I would definitely watch Ron Groover. Uh, and Roger Ayers, my boy. Roger, here's a, he's another NBA no, Roger Ayers is a NCA men's. He worked the Duke Carolina game today. He's a, uh-huh. he's got great hair, almost as good as yours. <laughs> How often do you do you talk to those guys? Like, do you, do you, do you have? I know you. He's your buddy, so like you're able to talk to him often about like just things you've gone through as an official and learning from him, or not so much. Uh, well, I was just at his camp in Virginia, so he invited me down. It was my first uh, gig as like uh, being on staff as a clinician. And that was based off the relationship I had having him on the podcast and the great reaction that we got from those episodes and that collaboration. So uh, he actually just texted me today um, about him sharing um, another official's number with me who, who's created a new whistle. So he's making that connection. So it's funny he asked if, if I speak to him. But no, I don't speak to him a ton, ton. Right. But I can reach out to him anytime and ask a question. And he, he knows the same for me. That's awesome. And going back to what you said about you watching your your own, you watch your own games, right? Is that, you mentioned that? So yeah. you'll, you'll do a Division two game. Obviously it's video. You get it from somebody, right? And like, do you get it from the coaches or like, do you guys have your own video? No, person? Uh, the, the league has a platform. Okay. So you can just, it's kind of like huddle, you know what huddle is where kids can go. Okay. So you can just go like log in and you could just watch the whole game. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I have to watch all of my college games. Like I, if I don't watch it, I don't know how I did. Right. You know, so it's in, and that's kind of been a lead up to me even being able to have a film review service, which there's really no film review services out there. And that's because of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours I spent developing myself and becoming more self-aware of who I was as a ref. I used to pay my wife to come. I don't, let me, that's a lie. (laughs) I've brought my wife to film (laughs) one time. Right, right, right. Um, she quit after one game because <laughs> I sucked at the time and I was getting yelled at left and right. Uh-huh. I get yelled at even now when I don't suck, but um, yeah. but yeah, just a lot of lot of hours of of film work. So uh, you know, I, I tell officials too: if you don't watch film, it's the same thing as you getting dressed in the morning and not looking in the mirror. You have no idea how you look that day. Right, and how is it? Is it tough to watch and and knowing you you missed the call, or are you just happy to see that you know you you missed it, or does that not happen too much any anymore? No, of course we're all we're always going to miss calls, and I think everybody's initial reaction is uh, I'm not going to speak for everybody or say it's you know disappointing or I was saddened by it. I've evolved a lot more and developed myself to be able to recover quicker from mistakes. So now I kind of just watch the film and it doesn't bother me that much. I don't let it because. Mm-hmm letting something bother you is a choice that you're making in your mind, right? Simply a choice. So if you take an alternative approach to that, a more proactive approach and just try to learn from it and extract the educational aspect of it. So, you know, you're just trying to watch your film, see what you can do better, correct your mistakes, but you can't let a play from three months ago exist in your mind. You're going to see a million more plays. It's like, we want to have a next play mentality, similar to the players, similar to the coaches. Mm -hmm. 
next play. You got it wrong. So what? Don't get the next one wrong. Gotcha. And in terms of in terms of missed calls, would you? There would are you, none. <laughs> there are. Would you encourage if you think you made a might have made a mistake and you think back on it during the game? Would you ever go to a coach and be like, you know what, coach, you, I, I did miss that? Would you encourage that, or you have never said that? Or I'm always curious about that with officials. Sure. I don't like opening doors. Okay. I don't have to. Mm-hmm. The coach asked me about that play then I'll be more than happy to be transparent with him. But if you don't ask, if I blow a call, Nick, and you don't call me over or you don't question it, I'm not going out of my way to tell you I missed it. Sorry. Mm-hmm. But you will, <laughs> but you will, if they do ask you about it. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, unfortunately, and this is an issue I have, but it's another podcast. The, the things coaches like the best about officiating is the communication aspect. Can I talk to him? AKA, Mm -hmm. can I complain to him? And will he listen? That ranks higher than accuracy. You you tell me if if the coach's priorities are in the right place, if they're ranking communication over accuracy. I don't know. What do you think? I would say accuracy is the most important. I would agree. Right. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> do you how much emotion do you allow, allow for players after a call where you're not going to like tee them up or something 77 percent can you can you can you elaborate that on that? Nothing. i don't know i'm just messing. <laughs> <laughs> how much emotion i mean yeah. listen you gotta be contextual in that moment you gotta know the history of the game you gotta know if you've had any prior interactions with that player you gotta know be able to process what exactly that outburst was. Mm-hmm. Was it something you can use your words and respond to? Does it require a technical foul? Is it something we're not going to address? Right. So just kind of knowing what the temperature of the game is, um, is going to help you make the best decision in that moment. You obviously, we obviously know it's a very emotional sport and we have to be the emotionless ones. Mm-hmm. And um, be able to respond in an effective way when the game gets hot and you got to take into account the emotion, but you need to draw the line and make sure it doesn't cross over into unsportsmanlike conduct. Right. So it's just, it's just a feel in that particular moment. There's no like word or certain body gesture that somebody can make that we're well, like, all right, you're going to get a T or. If you want to role play, just give me an example. So say I go up, I get fouled. I immediately look at you and go, come on. Is the and ball dead or is did it go back the other way? It's uh it it's it went back the other way. I'm not okay, there's no conversation to be had right now. I'm not available. Right. Remember we talked about being available? Right, right, right. Now now if you throw your hands up at me and say, Come on, maybe that maybe that was tech worthy. Maybe I spoke to you before that. Maybe I thought it was disrespectful. I'm gonna let the other team score and then I'll give you a technical foul. Mm. But in most cases, the situation you're describing, I'm going to want to go back up to the player if possible, if I think I need to address that. And it sounds like I probably would if he's going to throw his arms up and say, come on. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, hey, I'm a great listener. Do me a favor. If you have a question, use your words and speak to me. Don't throw your arms up in the air because that looks really bad. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. How often does that happen? 41% of the time. <laughs> another, <laughs> another good number. Thank you. Uh, when you when I saw a post when it said about a coach questioning the number of call number of fouls on each side, um, I was I thought that was really interesting. I think your response was like to ask if the coach was questioning your integrity based on you know are you insinuating that I'm cheating? It might that was one of your posts, right? Yeah. How would you how would you respond to a coach that said? I'm not questioning your integrity. Just it seems like you're calling two different games, like in terms of partners. Has that ever happened before? Where like you're calling kind of one way, and the other, and your other guy, your partner, might be calling either a tighter game or less tight. You, you know, you understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Um, one thing I tell officials is don't judge our partners' calls during the game. Don't mm-hmm. judge your own calls during the game, and we shouldn't really be looking too far into what they're calling. Of course, we want to be consistent, and I want to right. have that recognition skills to know if he no calls marginal contact on one end on a vertical defender, then if I have a similar play, then I should probably no call it too. If 
if we can match those plays, but we can't match black and white plays. Right. We can only match gray area plays where there's an option that presents itself. Um, and the way you responded to me when you questioned the foul count, but then you asked a respectful question. So I'm going to just engage with you and continue right. that thread. I'm not going to manage you there and let you know the foul count. I may say at the very end, you know, do me a favor, coach, don't question the foul count again because it's kind of like question of my integrity. And I know you're not doing that. Right. See how right. I played that? Right. That's really um, good. So you will you will kind of base a call sometimes on what your partner has called, like you just said, in that gray area? Most specifically when they happen back-to-back on no calls at the rim is the is the most common trend of the play I'm talking about. Right. You know, like the 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 room gets deflated sometimes, or at least in one coach's eyes, <clears throat> when that play happens and and you no call it, and then on this end I'm calling a foul. It's like it's the same call. Mm-hmm. Now, what I say to that is, coach, it's very um, seldomly the same. Actually, it's never the same exact play. Could be right. similar, but not the same. Right. But if that same exact play happens on this end, we're gonna have the same exact result. Do you have any other questions, Coach? Right. No, sir. Well, <laughs> for this interview, I do. <laughs> Going into like rule rule based specifics, I've oh, and I think you I, this I think this was another post of yours too. I have a live dribble, and all of a sudden, I come to a jump stop. Right. I land on two feet. I, am I allowed to pivot on a jump stop? Where did you pick up the ball again? So, say the ball's in my right hand. I take a dribble, right hand, left foot. And now I'm leaving off the ground. All of a sudden, boom, I caught the ball on a jump stop as my feet hit the ground. Okay. So if you if your dribble ended with both feet in the air, then you can land on the two feet and establish pivot foot. But if you go one and then land on two, then the next step you took would be your third step. When is that ball considered picked up? That's uh, to the judgment of the official. Gotcha. So if I did it, if I did a jump stop where feet were in the air and as I came down, hands and feet hit the ground simultaneously. So now I can pivot if I do it properly. Mm. So can I also take a step and lift that pivot to pass or shoot in that instance as well? Like if you, I did like a one, two stop. A one, two stop. So it's, so let's say play it out, right? And then you land on two. And what's your question from there? So you know how the, the, the rule is, correct me if I'm wrong, you're able, you can lift your pivot foot to pass or shoot as long as the ball is released prior to the foot returning. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. So I wasn't sure if I can, land, I can land in that jump stop, take a step, and then lift that pivot foot to pass or shoot, just like I could if I went, say, left, right, with that left foot being my pivot foot. That's, I know it's kind of hard. It's, I can't adjust my camera, so you can't see my feet, yeah. but – do you understand what I'm saying by that, or, or are you not too clear? Uh, I'm I'm not a hundred percent on the exact visual of what that is. I, you're probably explaining it very simply, but um, I just can't pinpoint exactly what you're saying, and I don't want to give yeah the wrong call. Um, yeah, what else you got? Um, when does a ref start counting steps with regards to travel? Yeah. Well, once the ball, the dribble has ended and the pivot foot is then established, right? So we're just pinpointing on when the, the dribble ends and what was the last foot on the ground. And that's going to dictate what, how they can move forward after that. Mm-hmm. And on a, on a live dribble, and I didn't touch it with the other hand, is just my hand going underneath the basketball, that's considered to be picked up? Is this the sim- similar to the play you sent me the other day where you – he did that hesitation and put his hand under. Well, that was, you know what? Let's yeah, let's talk about it. that. Was the that was the pocket dribble where, and that this is something we teach where we bring the ball back. Where ideally you want the hand behind the basketball. If this is the ball behind the ball, so is a pot. Let's go into that one. Is a pocket dribble a is a pocket dribble a carry? Well, we just have to determine if his hand went under the ball and that dribble ended when he did that hesitation. Right when he when he went in and out with his hand movement, again it's a play by play determination. We just have to see the exact play you, you mean. From the video you sent me, it looked like two of them were clean and one of them was probably a travel because he just put his hand way under the ball and the ball stopped. Um, 
my next question in terms of rules. Offense, so when I was younger, I was not – I didn't even know this. you could do this. I figured it was a foul. So what we teach now, like in my, my skills training business, we teach a lot of offhand work where with the offensive player where I'm handling the ball and the guy's, the, the guy's here reaching in. I always teach swipe, swipe their hand down in that running type of motion. Is that technically legal or is it just – you know, you see it often and it's not, it's not called um, – so is that technically legal to swipe a defender's hand away? Like, what are you looking for in that instance? If the official rules that that swipe either held, impeded the progress of that defender and created an ad, uh, advantage, or if the push-off displaces. So we're looking to see if you're pushing off or if that swipe, let's say I'm going to steal the ball and you just chop my arm, probably an offensive foul, right? Um if I see a pattern developing where I think that could potentially be an issue or rise to the level of a foul, I may let the ball handler know, hey, watch that offhand. You're, you're slapping down at his hand. You can't slap down at his hand. Because maybe it didn't rise to the level of, of a foul, and that's where we want to put our game management and be proactive with our officiating. So those are the things we're looking for on that swipe down. Just make sure it's not a displacement or a hold. Of course, I understand that national ripping motion, especially when there's hands reaching in. You know, mm -hmm. we're not going to really see that or that's not going to strike us as illegal contact unless he's slapping them, pulling them, holding them or pushing them. Gotcha. And do you allow for a little bit extra if you see, say, the defender has their form, there is contact on the body? Are you will you allow for a little bit more hand to hand combat if you see there's a physical defender, but. Obviously, it's a contact sport, but it's not a foul. Or you're not even thinking like that. You're just looking for the illegal, the moment of illegal contact. Yeah, uh, the the latter, which you just said. Yeah. Um, you know, an arm bar. If I put, if I'm a defender and I put an arm bar on a dribbler, most times it's an automatic foul. So you know, make sure you teach your players mm -hmm. just just to give you value. Hand check rules. Um, arm bar is an automatic foul. Two hands is an automatic foul. If I touch your hip once and then touch your hip again, it's an automatic foul. Really? That was actually one of my, my next questions. Two hands. Why well, I, I personally teach. So I'm glad you said I personally teach. Hey, look, if you go two hands on a guy, that's automatic right away. 99% of the times it is. If I'm dribbling by you on a blow by and you have two hands on me, I might necessarily not necessarily stop the game there. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but, you know, those are some of the hand check rules. You can you get one touch. I get one touch. Somebody was asking me today about what do I say to a coach when he says, you need to be calling the hand checks more. I say, let's go rule based there because a lot of coaches react to one hand on the hip and then they say, get his hands off. Hands off, Paul. He's saying, hands off, Paul. I said, I don't have my hands on anyone. Right? Uh, hands off. No, coach, just to clarify the um, hand check rule, the defender is legally allowed to put his hand on him one time as long as it doesn't impede the progress or displace them from their spot. The second time, that, that's an automatic foul. Did you see him put his hand on a second time, coach? So that's kind of how I'm communicating in that moment, using the rule as a way to lead my conversation and also make the coach, I'm questioning the coach now. You know, referees are, need to kind of reapply the pressure on the coaches. We can ask questions too. Mm -hmm. Most officials don't think questions is part of our tool belt. I think it's a big part of our tool belt because that can be a, um, a shift in the way you can now control the conversation. If I, you ask me a question, I'm answering under your framework. If I ask you a question, you have to answer under mine. So similar to what we're doing on a podcast now, we, we can apply that during the game. Right, right. That's, that's really good because – and you make the coach stop and think. So now they argue. Now he's doing less arguing too. And he's like – like when you asked me, I was like, wait a second. Now, now I'm like, you like distract him in a moment. Now the, but now, now the game returns. Yeah. So now like, I mean, that's a, that's a great, that's a, that's a great, great strategy. Now, do you want to come back after me as hard as, as you, you did the first time knowing I gave you that response and I kind of checked you a little bit? No, because then I have to answer your questions and I don't want, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> that's why that's why we're so big on what we, we we have a session called rapid responses uh -huh. uh, where we you know we speak about this exact topic best effective most effective responses for coaches i saw a rugby official today um boy it was textbook the way this giant warrior man rugby dude 
like walking over aggressively to the ref and your man just calmed him down, de-escalated him with a few words. And at the very end, the player said, I'm sorry. I'm so yeah. sorry. Right. So like that's the type of response is, is the best where if you yell at me, the conversation started with you yelling at me and it's ending with you kind of feeling like you're not going to do that again and you're wrong and you're sorry. Mm-hmm. And those type of responses are the most effective for officials because there's most likely that's going to end our back and forth, even moving forward in that game. And right. once I give you a response, the goal is to not have to come talk to you again because you don't want to question any more of my calls. Um, so this is a true or false question for you. True or false, there is no limit to steps per dribble. Dribble the ball, and while it's in the air, you're running as fast as you can while the dribble's still going on. Mm-hmm. As long as, the, but with the hand, and, and the hand didn't go underneath the basketball. Right. Yeah. Uh, one confusing, back to your question on misconceptions, how many times when a player dribbles the ball over his head, but he keeps his hand on top of the ball, does everybody shout carry? Do you think that's legal or illegal, coach? What, for a high dribble? Yeah. There's no, there's nothing in a rule book that I've seen that it says how high you can dribble. I like you, that you're looking in the rule book. You can dribble as high as you want, especially the hand positions here. So if I go under the ball from this point, I mean, that's, that's probably, the ball's probably going to fly out. So there's no – correct me if I'm wrong, but there's no, there's no rule on how high you can dribble. No. Correct. So I can do as many – going back to my question, I can, I can move my feet as much as I want when the ball's in that – when the ball's in the air, right? There's yeah. no – Yeah. Gotcha. I, that, that gets confusing with a lot of people on, you know, on Instagram when they like to call out travels. So I just wanted to clarify that for people who were wondering. Right. How often – how often do you refer back to the rule book? How often do you read it? How often I read it? Definitely try to read it at the beginning of every season and kind of deep dive in it. But the most times I read it is when I see a play on the court, then I go back and I uh, check, check the rule. And, and that's what I tell, you know, my mentees and people that reach out to me, they reach out to me with rule questions. Then I just revert them right back to the rule book because a rule book is way more trustworthy than a human being. Mm-hmm. A lot gets lost in translation. This is a big book. There's a lot of words, a lot of terminology in there. Yeah. So um, that's why it's important to not miscommunicate this type of stuff. So that's the most effective time when I read the book is uh, seeing those plays happen in real life and then going and checking the black and white. This time, the next, this way, the next time you have that play, it's already in your head. You already downloaded that rule. And we need constant refreshment of this rule book because it's so in depth and just it's like you, you learn the rule book one year, you have to learn it again the next year because that information starts to leave and you want to make sure it's sharp and at your disposal. And you're going to do that with building that muscle memory and uh, you know, that repetition. Right. I've always been curious about this and and it's probably the the answer I'm assuming is probably because there's so much information, but is there ever like, an an online video section of a of a of a rule book. Do they have like a video course? I mean, I imagine it would be just so so long that they couldn't even do it. Where like like can a when you become an official, do they ever have? Is there a course where they have plays and like this is the what the call is in this play? This is what the call is. like. Do they have that or just be too long? Well, let me just give Zach Murphy a shout out. He has a show called Video Rules Talk on the Crown Refs platform. So, yes, you can find some video rules content uh, on the Crown Refs platform. Really? Uh, yes, sir. Awesome. And what uh, is that called? What is, what is that called again? Called Video Rules Talk. Okay. Can you can you break that down for me? Just exactly what we just said. There's a there's a clip yeah, and then yeah. he talks. Uh, yeah, Zach, he usually deals with um, two to three rules per episode, maybe a seven, eight minute episode. And he'll go over the rule and then show kind of a video play to back up that rule and then give out more information on the rule, how to interpret it. Um, the NBA has a video rules platform that's really good. And I think video rules are, are great, but I can't speak for too many people. I haven't found too much of that online. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what, what would be considered a legal contact in the paint area? Like, cause there's so much banging, like, how do you determine what's illegal and what's, what's not? Um, you know, on plays to the basket in the lead position, these are some of the hardest plays because players are coming full speed at you. Mm-hmm. Right. And you kind of have that pressure of all that movement towards you, 
high speed. It's so important that we let plays start, develop, and finish, and then decide, especially with athletic players, players with great vert, um, vertical jump ability and that are vertical. You kind of got to let the whole story play out and then make your determination. So there's not one specific answer or play where I can say, if this happens, that's a foul. Mm-hmm. Um, just giving it time to breathe and, and seeing how it affect, if it affects the shot. Um, and, and what we have to determine, is it illegal contact or incidental contact? And that's a major skill in officiating is being able to filter and discern legal versus incidental. It's probably the biggest skill set besides being a great person and being a great partner. Now, when you say incidental, so I can incidentally like elbow guy in the face. And as long as I didn't do it in per, on, on purpose or like, what is, what do you mean by incidental exactly? Can you legal, can you, can, legal, legal contact. This is a contact sport. Mm-hmm. There's legal contact. There's illegal contact, illegal contact. We have to stop the game and penalize the players. Mo- the majority of contact is incidental contact, contact that is not illegal that we're going to just play on. So yeah, you can elbow someone in the face by accident and the ref could potentially rule. That's a legal play. Maybe two players are just going for a ball and no one does anything illegal. It was just an incidental elbow to the head. Sorry you got elbowed in the head, but I didn't do it on purpose. Not that that plays a factor, your intent, but it just could be an incidental play with just a crash and a a collision. What's your your ultimate goal with with crown refs, where do you, where do you want to take this in the, in the long run? You know, I've never had that long-term vision. Mm-hmm. I'm just not a planner like that. I've always said my, ter- my, my phrase is dominate the day. Mm-hmm. I think if you dominate the day and you copy and paste that over a long period of time, good things will happen. I got into this to impact one ref that happened pretty quickly. Now my goals are to be the most impactful official in the history of the industry. Like, why wouldn't I try to be great at this? Why wouldn't I try to impact as many people as possible? I kind of see where it's headed. I'm seeing the reach I have and, and how far the messages is getting out. And that's a good feeling when people reach out to you every day and say, like, you've helped change their life in something that they love. You know, like that impact is what I'm most important. So it's not a specific destination like oh i want the nba to hire me one day or mm-hmm. i want this to happen or i want twenty-five thousand people to be in my mentor group there's no numbers there's no end game this is a process thing this is falling in love with what you want to do and if you do things the right way consistently slow on a daily basis great things are going to happen for you so that's kind of my mentality of where we'll go um hope that right. hope that answers your question no, that definitely does and how can how can people find you um, and how can they, how can they join the mentor group if I'm, if you're interested in, in becoming an official? Yeah. So I, my links are in Instagram and you can go to patreon.com backslash crown refs to take a look at the tiers. I meet with everybody who shows interest. This is not something where I just want a thousand people to sign up overnight. It's so important to me that I go one at a time and every, every official on this call will, will tell you that I've went deep with them. They trust me. I trust them. They know who I am because I've extended myself to them and I, I create this family like culture back to what my brother did in 2013, you know, starting, starting this. Um, so I meet with everybody, like I'm on calls all the time, just building rapport making sure it's the right fit. Cause I don't want to bring just a random person in who's not a great person and doesn't fit that criteria because it can affect the culture of the group. That's the most important thing. And the best thing we have going on right now is the camaraderie we have in this group and in this community. As soon as you join, you feel like you have friends. You feel like you are part of a team. Everybody is connected by uh, the love for officiating, obviously being a great person, being a great partner, and also um, have been uh, impacted by my content. So when these officials join this platform, they're sharing all these similarities, these core similarities with strangers that they've never met, which instantly makes them team. Um, So if anybody wants to join, they could email me or DM me or reach out at any point and we can set up a phone call and we'll discuss and see if it's the right fit. Awesome, man. And, you know, I, I love what you're doing. And, you know, from the moment I saw your TikTok, I was like the behind the scenes, 
with you mic'd up. I just, you know, I love that stuff. I've always, I feel like refs have never done really what you're doing because it's always been like, I'm not going to tell you any information. Like we want to, as a player and a coach, I, I always wanted to talk to the refs, but I always felt like, I don't think they want to speak to me. Like, like I wanted to learn. So like the fact that you're providing a platform for people, I think it's like, I think it helps everybody. So. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The more appreciate that. And you know, the more knowledge you can have on the game, like we were saying before, the better off you're going to be. And you're right. You know, for a long time, officials were out of the way and didn't have a voice and were like, you know, very closed off. And there's still a big stigma in the industry. And again, that's a whole other topic. I would love more content creators to step up. That's why I'm so proud of like what Amber and Kate are doing. They're uh, mentees that we have. They're a married couple, like but they're putting out a ton of great content. And the more refs that step up and become a voice, the more knowledge we can share, the better off the game will be. So I can't thank you enough for your support and having me and my team on today. So I wish you the best of luck and reach out anytime with questions. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. Serve the game. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You know, if Crown Refs has brought you any value in the past, I would really appreciate if you would consider joining us in our new private community for basketball officials on the Patreon and Discord apps. We have three different tiers of access and content available. We have Crown Refs Pro, Crown Refs Plus, and Crown Refs Mentor. This is uh, next level stuff. If you've been a fan of the content or the podcast for the past few years, or you've been a day one supporter, um, this is the place to be. This is where we have our weekly training sessions on Zoom. This is where we have our live monthly podcast with special guests. This is where we are interacting every day on private channels. So would really appreciate if you could join us in this community. We think you would flourish and definitely accelerate your skills as a basketball official. For more information, you can click the link in this episode description. Have a great day.